Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Top 100 Clubhouse, the ultimate podcast for golf course enthusiasts worldwide. I'm your host, James Henderson, and we're about to embark on a journey through lush fairways and breathtaking landscapes, as well as delving deep into the minds of fascinating individuals from every corner of the golfing universe. Get ready to explore the world's top golf courses through the eyes of those who know them best. This week, Top 100 CEO Simon Holt talks to David Scott, the GM of Dumbarney Lynx. They discuss David's golfing journey, the devastating impact caused by the nematode parasite, the course architecture of Dumbarney, and the significance of golf course rankings. Okay, so... um... We're here at Dunbarney. David, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, David Scott, I'm General Manager. I've been here since uh, January 2020, just some five months or so before we officially opened. Excellent. And you're uh, obviously a Scot, but sort of even more local than that. And sort of, how did you sort of get into golf and, and you growing up in the game and things? So Dunbarney Links, we're 12 miles from St Andrews. That's where I was born and brought up. Uh, my father was a good golfer. played off, I think, best handicap was two uh, at St Andrews. And so, you know, he gave me a cut-down club at St Andrews and we played over the Balgove Golf Course, which is a short nine-hole course there, and got some lessons from a local pro and just fell in love with the game at a very early age, probably five or six. And there was probably half a dozen of, of, of very good friends then I still remain friends now that were just lifelong golf lovers and we used to go round and round the golf courses every day. It was a safe place, still is St Andrews and we'd go out in the morning uh, in teenage years and we'd have our, our segs or spikes on. We'd walk out the front door. My house was maybe some three or four hundred yards from the first tee of the old course. Not that I played the old course much as a kid, but certainly I'd walk from my house go right down onto the Eden, New Jubilee, the great golf courses of St Andrews and play at least 36 holes and then come back at 6 o'clock for my tea uh, with my mum and it'd usually be a, a mince pie and chips or something like that, you know, and it burnt off about 3,000 calories. So it was great times back in St Andrews being brought up in the home of golf. Yeah, and obviously pace of play back then wasn't an issue. <laughs> it certainly was not. No, no, if you didn't break three hours, you should be shot. No, definitely, <laughs> we'd fly around the course. We'll talk about that more in a second, maybe. And then talk to me more about St Andrews and, and how the tourist boom came, when you sort of felt that as a local, and in terms of golf travel and tourism, when it really sort of exploded on the scene in Scotland. Yeah, probably, um, you know, around, I suppose, Nicholas's second open at St Andrews, 1978. I think his first one, 1970. Yeah, there was a lot of American influence, him coming over winning, it was getting uh, more coverage on television and in 78 then became very strong. I worked in Tom Moore's golf shop, which was right next to the, the 18th uh, green on the old course. I worked there as a kid, probably um, around about 1979 or so. So I'd see a lot of Americans coming in, a lot of Japanese as well coming in, in fact, uh, as well back then. So uh, I... I Personally, yeah, as far as I can remember anyway, kind of mid-70s onwards, it was really starting to take off. And then tour operators then thought, okay, there was there was uh, only a handful. And then as they thought, okay, this is an opportunity, more and more grew. And so right now, uh, as you're aware, there are hundreds of tour operators involved in golf industry. And do you, how do you find they are sort of integral to the 
to the journey for the inbound golfers to Scotland to help plan and things like that and to showcase all the courses around Scotland, but you know specifically this area as well. Yeah. Tour operators, I think, especially for your first visit to Scotland, are absolutely invaluable. They understand the infrastructures. You know, the roads are kind of quirky over here compared to the free lanes, especially if we're talking about North America, driving on the left-hand side of the road. They're curvy, they're, they're narrow, and so it's tough, actually, if you're self-driving at all. But more importantly, they, they just know the right way to try and figure out a strategic plan that's going to make it smooth. If you've got a driver, nothing better than if you're out over with your four, four buddies or three buddies rather, whether it's four girls, four boys, you've got a driver to take you around and you can have a couple of, you know, whiskies after your game and enjoy the, you know, the atmosphere that, that Scotland delivers. Um, and just even right down to all the restaurants, booking well in advance, making sure you get in at the right place as well. That'll give you an amazing experience. So it becomes um, seamless from the point they pick you up at the airport. They take you to the hotel, check in. They've already maybe checked in advance for you. The, you know, the concierge are waiting for you to welcome and you've got it all figured out. They'll probably have a, a soft golf course maybe on day one set for you that isn't maybe a tick box. It just depends what the tourney is looking like. So you just get loosened up, you know, get acclimatized as well, get your body clock on sync, um, and then just have a great party the whole week. And then, uh, they'll, they'll take you to the airport and you'll wave goodbye and thinking that was worth a few, a few extra thousand dollars, whatever it is to have that wonderful experience. And some folk, um, you know, have come back 20, 30 times and come back with the same tour operator just because they love being looked after. It's great being looked after. Just treat yourself, be spoiled just for that one week, 10 days. And that's very much obviously an industry piece that you speak so passionately about. And I know, um, you know we won't get into that now, but in terms of you've got all those great relationships with the tour operators and what do you see like running a place like Dunbarnie as those key relationships outside of the tour operators as well? Like what type of other suppliers do you have to deal with running the golf course? Um, well, certainly, yeah, tour operators are massively important to us. Uh, and there's a consistency. We built up trust with them uh, and uh, it goes two ways. Hoteliers are very important, local accommodation providers. So there are two or three you know, big hotels in, in St. Andrews. You've got the Old Course Hotel, five star, Fairmont, five star. The Rusick's right on the 18th, four star, um, magnificent, three magnificent properties. We get a lot of the tour operator business staying there and then, then they'll travel to us. But quite a few have just, you know, their self-drive staying in these places because they've been here before perhaps. So we have strong relationships with them. And out with these three, you've probably got another 40 places in St. Andrews or immediate area that, that house, uh, you know, people on vacation. And so keeping in contact with them is vitally important. So we're, you know, we hand in our brochures every springtime to them, giving an update, have them along, you know, for an informal golf day as well, so they can experience the golf course. So then over breakfast, you know, if they're chatting to Jim and Jim says, Oh, I'm thinking about playing somewhere today. Where would you recommend? Well, where have you played? Well, have you played the Barney Lakes? No. Well, you must go there because we played there a couple of months ago. It's in great condition. It's a brand new golf course, blah, blah, blah. So they're just a voice piece for us. So we just look after the local people, um, you know, and uh, it's working out quite well for us. So you sort of mentioned two things, just because I know some of your history there. I would take that working in the Old Tomorrow Shop was probably one of your first jobs in golf. And then you touched upon, you know, the Old Coast Hotel. And I know your association there from working up at the Dukes and then you know, more down at the hotel itself. But what sort of your sort of brief 
sort of golfing industry in terms of working through the industry and your first job to where you are now as a GM of this amazing golf course here at Dunbarney? I'll try and keep it brief, but as you can see from the, the colour of my hair, it's, I've, been, I've been in the industry for quite some time. Um, so I turned pro at 19, joined uh, Blair Gowrie Golf Club, which is a magnificent 45-hole complex up in Perthshire. Then from there, uh, moved to Letham Grange, which is up beside Carnoustie. It's no longer in, uh, in play. It closed down. So I was there for eight years as their first head pro. Then moved to Balburnie Park, a nice private club uh, down beside uh, Glenrothes in the middle of Fife. From there, I made a big move to Kingsbarns Golf Links, which most uh, most people have heard about, certainly a top 50 in the world. So I, I moved there in 99, and the golf course opened in July 2000. So it was wonderful to you know have a blank piece of paper and then just you know create a golf team and a, a product to open on day one. The first week in business was the week of the Open Championship in, in 2000, and you had 1,500 golfers or just a little bit under. So going from zero to 1,500, bang, that's a lot of pressure, but a lot of fun as well that comes along with it. So I was there for a, a great eight and a half years, loved every minute of it. Then I moved to Kohler Company in the Old Course Hotel, Initially was golf manager there for um, first seven or eight years, and then I moved into the operations in the hotel. And for for three and a half years, I was director of operations in the Old Course Hotel, which was uh, a challenge, you know, uh, for me. That no question, because it wasn't just golf; it was hotel bedrooms, reception, it was maintenance, it was housekeeping, all these things as well. So, I suppose you know, just the skills I'd, I'd, I'd you know gleaned from the previous roles was more. Uh, um, you know, managerial skills and people management and, and you know, people management and, and customer care. Um, so all that wrapped wrapped up. Mr. Kohler saw it fit that I was a man for, for the role. Um, and then uh, I got enticed away to this wonderful project. I uh, applied for the job, I think, in uh, what would it be, mid-2019. Mid, mid and then I, I got the job and started 2nd of January 2020 and I've never looked back. So then that's like obviously incredible history and very much Mr. Kohler saw something in you that there was this management expertise that wasn't just relative to golf. It's very much about people and, and making tough decisions. And we'll come more into the golf course architecture of Dunbarney and your, your personal preference of other golf course you played a second. But, you know, last year we were all acutely aware, you know, you were hit really hard with COVID, which must have been tough when you opened at a time, um, I would put words in your mouth, but I think you did especially well with the local market coming in and just raving about the golf course, and I was one of them. Um, but then when we did finally open the borders again to the relief of everybody involved in the golf industry, certainly inbound travel, the Americans came back, the North American market came roaring back. We had the open in St. Andrews, but then unfortunately you had, to, you had to take a tough decision around shutting the golf course for a while. But could you sort of describe that to us, please, and the, the process you had to go through? Yeah, that was tough. A lot of sleepless nights and definitely contributed uh, to a few more grey hairs. Um, yeah, we took the tough decision. We, we got attacked by, uh, by nematodes. Nematodes is a parasite that lives in every soil across the world, okay? And they, they eat then on rotting plants. So our, our greens were a little stressed over the winter. It had been very cold and the, the plant was weak. And then they just started chewing away. And unless you actually deal with it, 
then it can actually, they, they can cause serious damage. Well, we weren't aware they were chewing away underneath. The grass on our greens, which is a fescue bent mix, is dormant at the time of year in the springtime because it's, it's not growing at all. So it's just dormant. It's lying there waiting to get, you know, to liven up when you get, you know, the temperatures around 15 degrees or 58 Fahrenheit. So it was low, and then they're chewing away underneath, and then the more they chew, the more they multiply as well. They start growing, and on the 2nd or 3rd of May, all these patches started to, you know, appear, dead patches on our greens. It was horrendous. So our course manager, Graham Taylor, uh, and I went out in the golf course, and we we, we uh, didn't take very long to figure out, we need to close here. We need to close because... I'm certainly all about reputation. You know, I like to think I'm, I'm a five-star mindset and I don't accept, um, you know, mediocrity. We have to deliver. We have to provide a great, a great golf course. And we don't want social media and people taking photographs and, you know, people saying, oh, well, it's going to be good in a few years' time. That's a kiss of death. We had to make a very fast decision. So I, the, I, the, and every, you know, the, 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 the tough call. The tough call to phone our chairman, Clive Clark, and said, uh, Clive, how are you doing, David? I'm saying, well, I'm not so good, Clive, actually. Tell you why. Uh, I'm recommending we close the golf course tonight. So that was a very tough call. I explained it all, and he was fully supportive. He's absolutely five-star through and through with his mindset. And then the hardest bit then was to phone everyone on a T-sheet to say, okay, you've got a group of 24 the following day. Sorry, but we're cancel- we've got to cancel them. We're closing the golf course. So initially we closed for one month. Then toward the end of the month, it was very obvious the golf course, the greens weren't getting much better because, again, there'd been no growth. So you can rest them all. Okay, there's no foot, foot traffic and no cutting and no rolling, but there's no growth. These dead patches are still there. So... We extended it a further two weeks and then reopened on uh, 17th of June. Um, and they, they, they were certainly much improved, but we just uh, took our time. We, we kind of maximised about 70 people a day at that time, just so we didn't put too much stress and gradually built it up. And then the Open Championship was in town last year, as you'll know. And, and so we then started to hammer the golf course after that because there was plenty of heat in the ground. There was plenty of growth thereafter. So that was good. But coming back to it anyway, we hadn't realised there was this nematode problem. We closed the golf course. We pulled in a, a very well, you know, recognised agronomist. He he thought, hold on a minute, that looks like you've got nematodes. We sent samples away, uh, you know, to the testing centre and it came back with that. So it's an easy treatment. Um, you know, it's just a kind of garlic mix. And as soon as we sprayed it, everybody's saying, oh, what's the chef cooking today? <laughs> it really is garlicky. But anyway, it addresses the problem. And we're now constantly, I say constantly, we're monitoring every two to three weeks just to see where we are with that. But we'll never have that challenge again anyway. There's no question about that. So I can sleep. And so can, of course, my just sleep, sleep well at night because of that. But big challenge had to be done, though. There was no, there was no question in my mind. It had to be done and very tough calls, letting people down. People that we'd built up a trust with and then we're letting them down. But this year we're in great order. It's kind of forgotten about. It's a lesson learned from us, but it's forgotten about from a tour operator standpoint. I think and a lot of guests as well that were individual that had booked in. Yeah, we let them down. We apologized profusely, but we, we couldn't have a golf course that was going to get beaten up more. Reputation goes downhill. Open Championship with some 
many VIPs coming all around the place. For instance, Gary Player, Bob Charles, uh, Ian Baker Finch, to mention just three great open champions. You don't want them out there playing on a golf course that have got greens like Rivita. You know, you want to have smooth putting surface that they can make birdies and enjoy and go away and tell people they had a good time, hopefully. Well, no doubt, clearly a very, very tough decision, but sounds one that uh, was absolutely the right one with 2020 hindsight. But um, now, sort of moving on to more of the, the golf course architecture out here, what are the holes that, I mean, maybe talk to a little bit about when you first found the place, what your first impressions were from the outset of the projects, because I know. It didn't look like this, and there's a huge amount of work that's gone in to make it this fantastic golf course that it is, and maybe your favourite holes out there and, and stretches that you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, extremely exciting and entertaining golf course. I think entertaining would be a good word for, for here out here. It doesn't beat you up. A lot of, There are similarities in fun versus King's Barnes, but as a golf course, there's not really much of a comparison, you know, like for like design-wise, but actually playability-wise really is what I'm trying to say. There's room off the tee, there's wide latitude for play, so you can hit it a bit errant and you'll find your ball, but it's all about angles of attack into the green is left better than right, etc. So that's uh, there's a similarity there to all great links, to be fair. Um, and I think there are a few options there. Uh, Clive Clark, the designer, uh, former Ryder Cup player back in 73, he designed, he's got three short par fours out there, the third, the 11th, and the 17th. So if you have a prevailing wind, which is kind of westerly over here, southwesterly, for a strong hitter, fairly strong hitter, and you're playing off the right tees for you, all are drivable. And that makes it really, really sets up for exciting golf. You have a nice, good tee shot right out of the sweet spot. You're going to be there, thereabouts, and you got putt for eagle. But, you're taking on a, a tough line to get there. So if you don't quite middle it, then you could be in a snarly bunker and before you know it, you've run up a five just like that. You know, so the risk and reward element, which everybody knows about, that's prevalent on these three holes. And on a couple more holes, you've got dual fairways. Do I go left? Do I go right to come you know, in for different angles? So another expression would be thought-provoking out that's there. The fifth hole, isn't it, where you can sort of... Fifth hole? To the right, but it makes the hole longer. That's right. Fifth and also... So fifth, yeah, it's a dog leg from right to left. You've got a narrow fairway down the left-hand side. Gives you a much shorter shot in. Or you've got half a fife on the right-hand side. Should be pretty easy to hit out there. But you're probably hitting two or three more clubs into the green there. So that's the, that's the decision you make. Again, a hole in the back nine is 15th. Big par five, dog legging left to right. Slither down the right-hand side. Loads of room on the left-hand side, but you've got much more, much further distance to get to, to the green. So, uh, again, you stand in the tee and it's asking you a question. What do you want to do here? Do you feel lucky, I suppose, in some of the holes? Much better angle if you go down the right as well. If you can hit that narrow slither, you kind of, you, if you've got the lens, like shooting right at the gut of the green where you sort of slightly, you go left, you're safe. But yeah. You've not really got that yeah. angle to get there, do you? But, yeah. I think the biggest thing that impacts golfers here when they come and play is actually the size of the footprint of the golf course. Most golf courses, I think, are around about the 150, 175 acre mark. We're 345 acres. So at no point are you getting close to somebody else's fairway. There's no dual fairways here. You're kind of on your own playing between dunes that have been actually created. So you've got 600 dunes that are man-made out here. And... Um, the actual, you know, physical uh, makeup of it are very similar to the real dunes, the natural dunes that are here for tens, thousands of years. Um, 
down at the waterfront. You know, so when Clive saw them, he said, right, I want kind of them copy and pasted that style and feel into the golf course. So it does feel very natural and you feel regular when you're out there. It's, it's kind of millionaire golf. You're on your own. You're, there's no shouts of four out there or very, very rarely and you're kind of on your own and you're not seeing any other golfers out there. So it's a different feel to your old course, to your King's Barns, maybe to a few other where you, you know, you're sharing fairway sometimes, which is wonderful. I'm not saying we're any better at all. It's just a, it's just a different style. So 345 acres allowed Clive then to, to change, to, 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 to have the actual design kind of zigzagging away. So you don't have any two holes running in the consecutive line. They're actually one going due south, which is our first hole. Then you go straight west. Then you're going, you know, south, uh, southeast and then back again. So it's all over the place. So when you've got a stiff wind up here, you never get a right to left wind for two holes. It's just hitting you at all different angles. So that, that creates entertainment, I think. You just said there you touched upon something that is such a big site and very much a leading question, but let's talk about the future of Dunbarney and the aspirations of yourself and the staff here and the ownership mm -hmm. of, we had the Lady Scottish, which, which seemed to be like a, a fantastic success. Like, What does the future have in store for Dunbarney on that side of things? Yeah, we would love to host a, a big event. Another women's Scottish would be great. Maybe, maybe um, you know, to not appear sexist, we'd maybe have a men's event as well. Why not? Um, we have a very strong golf course off the back tees, 7,620 yards. So I think it's probably the longest in Scotland, if not certainly the top three. So we could easily host the big boys if uh, if they decided to come here. Um, being so close to St Andrews, it would be magnificent as well. Um, we we have good connections with the European Tour, um, with IMG and with RNA as well. So our doors open if there's a if there's a, a a tournament or championship that they think might fit for us, then we'd be delighted to hear from them. But we're not we're not begging. Um, you know we're we're commercial um, here. You know we don't have any members, and so we're looking to, as a pay and play golf course. We're we're looking to bring in money. Uh, you know each day for for the investors of of the company, but. Um, it's not all about money. We would love to host an event and uh, get it on TV. You mentioned the Women's Scottish Open. We had four hours a day on the Golf Channel live uh, over in the US. That was magnificent for us. The weather was as sunny as it is today. Uh, there was some great scoring. Um, Ali Ewing and I think Lydia Coley shot 63 in the last round, nine under par. Just magnificent golf to see them play on what was, I think, a 6,700-yard golf course. So to shoot nine under with 6.7, that's a long golf course. And so to see them, you know, shooting low numbers as well, that, that was exciting for us. And it worked out well from a marketing standpoint where you've got many millions across the U.S. seeing this brand-new golf course really right in the middle of COVID as well because there was still not any travel going over. So they had special dispensation to fly into the country because of their sports, uh, you know, badge uh, on their passport. So that's how they got in. And there was a, a COVID bubble in the clubhouse. It, it was worked out wonderfully for us. So certainly we'd be most keen to host, uh, you know, another another big event like that, if not even something bigger. Fantastic. And they'd be lucky to come here as well. I mean, it showed so well on television. It is that course that, you know, with all the great views of the Firth of Cork and over to, to God's country in East Lothian, where I'm from as well, which right. is nice. But... Uh, 
So let, let's talk a bit more. This will be the bit that's a bit more about Tom Barney. Um, but we talked earlier about how important it is for the American business, but also the domestic market to, to come to a place like Tom Barney where they're here and they're taking care of five-star service for the day. So we have sat behind us here this beautiful modern uh, clubhouse. Like, talk to me about the design of the clubhouse, what was important to you and, and the staff in there, what type of service you're trying to provide to people when they come in. Yeah, we're trying to do things a bit differently here, um, right? Even from our first tea, when you get a wee nip of whiskey, uh, you know, served, served by our starters in a little shot glass. And I, I asked the, the starter the other day, how, what percentage you were looking at? 80% that are taking them? He said, no, 90 plus now, because it's, it's, it started a bit of a tradition. Everybody's looking forward to it. It's a wee dram, a bit of swing oil, etc. So it's fun right there. It's, it's unique. Um, in the clubhouse, we've got a nice, open, spacious lounge where we've always got music piping through the whole place. It's not a discotheque, but it's certainly there. You can hear a lot of people tapping their feet. You have a nice bar. I think it's eight meters long. Uh, you know, with four four big televisions there. There's always sport on as well, so uh, different channels there. And come nine o'clock, the bar's open, and you have a few Bloody Marys, you know, for, uh, for, from the night before, or uh, or even just to get your, you know, your day going as well and in good spirit as well. So um, it's not fussy, it's not pretentious, it's fun. You know, it's the same in the golf shop as well. Uh, we employ people, as you've heard a million times, but just for their personality and their smiles, not for their skill set. Because if you've got the right attitude, your skill set can easily be learned. So um, it's not silver service. It's, it's great, wholesome fish and chips, burger, chicken burger, uh, you know, nachos, all the things that golfers, I think, love. There's not too many dietary things on the menu, that's for sure. We do have a Caesar salad. I don't know how popular it is. Then uh, I suppose to finish up more back to the golf course and kind of what top100golfcourses.com is involved with, which is, is rankings. And what has your experience of that been over the years? And what importance does a place like Dunbarney have on, on any different level to how our course is, is perceived by the, the various publications? Yeah, it's vital. I mean, many, many people, even although digital is much more prevalent now than old hard copy, used to get, you know, certain magazines and not many names, but you'd you'd look forward to it and then you could start then ticking off. Everybody ticks it off and you have got, you know, two or three different top hundreds, but as long as you're in the top hundred in all of them, which we hope to be, uh, if we're not already, you know, we want to stay there and people like to, you know, tick off. And you're always looking to see if you're getting that wee... Weave bit higher as well. It helps from a marketing standpoint, but people do like to, to take it off. So, um, yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel like across the publications industry-wide, are you happy where it is at the moment, or do you think it's fair the way the course has been viewed so far? Is it about where you thought it would land? Um, yeah, we're hoping to get a bit stronger, a bit higher than that. We do, we, we do hear from a lot of people that, you know, we, we take a great deal of boxes out there, um, we hear, we hear. There's not many weak holes out there. It's either it's either good or or, or very good. That uh, maybe sounds arrogant, but uh, you know, Clive spent an awful lot of time building this golf course, and because we had the 345 acres, we didn't have to make uh, a hole in a funky area, in a poor area that just doesn't really fit very well. But that's all you could do because that's all the land that was given there. 
he's got a he's got a big piece of land. Everything you see out there is pretty much man-made. You've got the bulldozers there, you know. So if you've got a flat piece of land, he then basically cut and paste. He'd chop down here, so cut and fill. So he'd cut down here and then throw that up here and throw it up here. So then before you know it, you've then created this fairway through dunes. So, you know, so, you know, he, he's he's got 18 individual mini masterpieces in his mind. You know, there's not really any weakish holes out there. So as a result of that, I think it's just we're hopeful in a matter of time when it when I think it's matured pretty well already. The feedback is it's good. But once we get many raters through here, we're hoping to get higher, you know, than, you know, maybe 30 or 40, if that's for sure. And we have aspirations, certainly. Our goal is to try and get top 100 in the world. Yeah. Uh, and when we look at other courses that are in the top 100, we believe we're going the right right direction just with the overall journey and experience right from you know coming at the pro shop the driving range playing off grass uh you know which is important to us from a experience many places you go on a mat it's great from a golf operation standpoint when they're hitting off mats you don't have to reseed you don't have to pick up divots we pick up divots every single night we pick up broken tees every night so then the next morning then the golf then the, the tee is pristine and ready for the next goal for us the next day. So we're just trying to do things as well as we can do, and hopefully enough Rachel's will come along and recognise that. But you know, regardless, we'll just keep. We're not. We're not bitter at all. You know, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing. And then uh, finally, truly finally, this one. But um, in terms of your own personal preference, in terms of stars of golf course that you really like, what would you say? Sort of your. I wouldn't put a number in it, but a handful of your like truly your your favourite places to play and what yeah. is it that you really enjoy about the, the golf course architecture specifically? Yeah. Well, it depends if you're going for a real challenge or not. If you're looking for challenge, you're probably not surprised when I mention Carnoustie. Mm -hmm. Great condition golf course, real challenge. But if you're not if you've not got your A game, then you're going to you're going to have a hard time coming off that golf course smiling on the last green, you're probably quite relieved to get off the golf course. Whereas if you're talking about a fun, entertaining element, there's nowhere better than no course. I love it to bits. So if that's my last golf course that I will play, that'll be it. Uh, Turnberry, I played there last year for the first time since the remodel. I'd say it's the best golf course in Scotland. It really is. It, so many wonderful holes there that have been created from mediocre holes, weak holes, to now strong holes. And the ones around the turn are unbelievable. So just fantastic. I'm very much a, a Lynx lover, brought up on Lynx. Um, I think another golf course worthy of note is Loch Lomond, though. Uh, I played there about two months ago, in fact. And they've been doing a huge amount of work on their drainage. They've built up their fairways with sand capping. Normally, you would sprinkle sand and you gradually fill it up. They took all the grass off and then put you know, like about the best part of a yard or a meter of sand, then returfed it. So I played there early, early April, and in previous years the place would still be soaking. Yeah. Absolutely bone dry, magnificent journey right through from from arrival to to, to end uh, to the to the to leaving uh, out the gates. But it's just a magnificent layout and golf course. And Tom Weisskopf did a did a brilliant job there as well. I actually prefer like the holes away from the water, like architecture, I love that back nine, even though you don't sort of have the views. And I sort of believe, I joke sometimes we're in this sort of Instagram golf design age where every right. hole has to be a wow. Sure. Whereas Lot Lomond, I think the subtlety on the back nine there where you're away from the lock is actually to me some of the more interesting golf holes. And design wise, I think it's the 14th, I think like we call it Jim, Tom's Chance, 
or something along those lines where it's the wrist reward where that's we right. straight at the green or that's you right. take it left again like some of the holes here at Dunbarney but yeah it is a hole that maybe because of its exclusivity sort of flies below the radar in some of the rankings but yes. it's a fantastic way mm-hmm. good okay well that was great thank you so much that was awesome yeah Big shout out to David Scott and his team at Dunbarney. Join us next week as we discuss our new Top 100 Golf Courses of Continental Europe rankings release with panellist Jim McCann. And if you need anything, just contact us on Instagram. Also feel free to contact me. It's james at top100golfcourses.com. Please like, follow, share, everything to do with the podcast. It makes a big difference for us. And remember, play fast, lunch slow.